Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I'm here, Connor Clancy, joined as ever by Kev Pogzelski. Kev, say hello. Hello, everybody. You're very happy this evening, Kev, and I understand that you've, you're a bit lethargic. You're running low on energy because you've not eaten. But I will ask you to just speak a little bit louder than than that hello, because that's going to be a nightmare for me in the editing if you don't. Okay. That's <laughs> right. Uh, slightly, slightly. Um, yeah, keep it at that if you could. We're also joined by Vito Doria. Vito, hello. How are you keeping? Yeah, I'm good. Glad to be back. It's good to have you, and you're hitting the the right volume levels as well, which makes me very, very happy. Kev, you're not in the best of form today, are you? Me? Yeah. No, um, it's been a long day. Yeah, it's been a long, You've just successful seen, day. Been to the stadium to see your team win a cup final, but. Oh well, the lack of lack of eating takes its toll on anyone, I suppose. But we've we've had some weekend of Italian football, and just before we dive into all of the the results and, and chat through, I do just want to remind listeners to head to patreon.com slash forza Italian football where they can sign up for two, five, or ten euro a month to help support the website and get a lot of extra content over there as well from Champions League podcasts, Coppa Italia podcast this week, and Serie A preview podcasts. There's plenty of audio content as well as the occasional written piece as well. So do head over and support the site and the pod where you can. But this weekend was a bit of a belter. It started on Friday night where Milan dropped points again, following up their draw against Salernitana by dropping points at home to Udinese. It finished 1-1 there. Then Inter went and did the same thing away at Genoa. They they couldn't score. It finished 0-0. Salernitana and Bologna drew 1-1 on Saturday. Juve beat Empoli 3-2 and Sassuolo beat Fiorentina at the Mape 2-1 with, with some late drama there to end my super special Sassuolo Saturday as Kevin and I discussed on the, on the preview pod. Um... Then Sunday was a little bit more relaxed for the most part. Cagliari beat Torino in what was a surprise result in Turin. Verona beat Venezia 3-1. Spezia almost clung on with 10 men for a draw at Roma, but Tammy Abraham's 100th minute penalty won it for the Giallorossi. And then Napoli scored a late winner of their own away at Lazio to win 2-1 and to go top. Atalanta-Sampdoria is, of course, being played on Monday evening so the only place to start is at the top we have new leaders at the top of Serie A and they are Napoli they play Milan next week in what is going to be a brilliant brilliant game but Vito we've got to give Napoli credit here because they they never let their heads drop Pedro equalized with a bit of a stunner 
in the 88th minute and they could have been forgiven for just sinking. They didn't. And Fabian Ruiz scored a lovely goal and you could see how much it meant to them with those celebrations at the end. Oh, oh absolutely. It just seemed that uh, this could have been another one of those games where they would have um, uh, squandered it and uh, had to put up with a draw. But this time... Uh, they actually showed some composure to win at the depth. Uh, it was a fantastic goal for Ruiz to win it. And uh, to be honest, I think all three goals in this game were excellent in their own way. But just the timing of the Ruiz one in particular, um, I think it's that kind of late drama that makes these kind of games uh, extra special. And uh, to get back on top, it puts him in a good position at least for now to actually try and win the third Serie A title in their history and first since 1990. Yeah, look, the, all of the goals were excellent and we might talk a little bit more about Pedro's, but we might not because all of the narrative here just has to be about Napoli. Now, Kev, there's there's something extra romantic about the fact that Lorenzo Insigne scored the opener and then his movement for the second goal as well. As Napoli broke, you're thinking, right, everyone just get into the box, but Insigne pulls out to the left really cleverly because then the the ball kind of has to go to him. And when it does, Lazio's defense is just so, so stretched. And you're expecting Insigne to do his his usual, you know, the the tiragir or just do something in the form of putting a cross into the box. But instead, he lays it back for Fabian, who, who... I mean, that finish, there was an angle where it looked like it actually went wide and into the side netting. It was so close to the foot of the post. But Napoli and this with Insigne, if he leads them to a Scudetto and then just dips out to Toronto, what an ending that could be. Yeah, I think we said on a on a, on a previous pod about... Um, maybe I think we were just talking about him leaving before he'd even sort of secured the move to Toronto, whether this would be kind of the ideal scenario for, for him. And actually, I think at the time I said that if he was able to to win the league with Napoli, it would probably be a reason to stay mm. because, you know, he would have achieved something that would have looked unlikely with with them um, in, in a similar way to what Totti did, although earlier in his career with, with Roma. Um but I just, I don't know. It, it's, it, it still feels a bit strange to say it because they've they've got they've got the points still to get into, but they've got that game in hand, and I kind of do still see them then edging in front. But I mean, if if Napoli can get themselves so they are being chased as opposed to doing the chasing um, at some point this day this season with everybody on the same amount of games, then I think um, they could have a real chance of of winning the league. Kev, Lorenzo Insigne scored a goal from open play for the first time since... Can you finish that sentence? December? May against Udinese. That's his first goal from open play this season, which I saw a tweet saying it and I just didn't believe it. I thought there is no possible way that can be true. And then we we got the Opta email sent through later in the evening and sure enough, his first goals in scoring from open play against Udinese in May 2021. That is an astonishing feat. But if he is now finding a little bit of form, I mean, it's not a bad time for him to do it, is it? 
No, absolutely. Maybe maybe because he scored for Italy in the Euros from open play. Make you know, mm. makes you sort of and he's probably I'm assuming those sets are just Syria, so Yeah. Maybe he's got something in there. Uh, trying to remember what they were playing. Uh, <laughs> Europa, they've been the in Europa the Europa League. League. Yes. Uh, yeah, but... Uh... Vito, something about Fabian Ruiz getting the winner just didn't quite feel right because he was arguably the worst player on the pitch for 90 minutes. Um, if not that, he was probably Napoli's worst player. So for, the, for him to then pull a finish like that out of the bag in the 94th was was something special. It shows that you know, with these players that have this quality about them, even on a worse day, sometimes they just need to have the moment. And in this case, Fabian Ruiz had his moment. Uh, you can go bad for the duration of the game, and then uh, when your team really needs to s- step up, you just switch on and score a goal like that. And you know, just as you two were talking about the goal, just... The way it bent too, I think that was some excellent technique on his part. And uh, Ruiz, um, overall, for this season, I think he will go down as being one of the key players because he can score those kind of goals outside of the box and he is a quality pass of the ball. So, um, of course, you'd want him to keep playing well and be more decisive throughout the duration of the game, but... When you can have these moments where you just step up, I think that's a, a welcome bonus. It goes to show that uh, doesn't matter how bad of a day that you have, if you've got the ability, sometimes you just got to stick to the process, go through the moment, and once you do something special, you know, just observe all the plaudits. It was the the goal was something special. The whip on it, it, it was like a, a Tony Cross strike you know he's got that textbook way of of passing the ball into the bottom corner as if he's just playing it to Modric you know it's such a good goal and it's worthy of winning a match and to to win it like that there's a really nice clip actually where when you see the goal from behind the net and the camera angle picks up Ruiz after the goal the ball goes into the net you can see Ruiz starts to realize what he's done and he goes to run to his right to celebrate. And then he thinks, oh, no, I'll go to my left. And then he thinks, oh, no, I'll go back to my right. And then he just looks to see where everyone else is running to. And sure enough, the, the whole of Napoli, Napoli's technical staff, Spalletti, everybody were were down under the, the traveling supporters. It was really, really nice to see. Kev, Napoli host Milan next week. I don't even need to ask you a question about that. But I just can we get excited about that now? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it will be on the Napoli side that are getting excited because uh, Milan have struggled, mm. um, not necessarily just for uh, results, but kind of performances. They've been somewhat lacklustre the last couple of uh, games in the league. They have, for sure. And Napoli will, will be buoyed by this win. Um, briefly, Lazio, Vito, because Lazio started very well this evening and for about 30 minutes it looked like Napoli weren't even going to get out of their own half or never mind the idea of scoring a goal but it didn't quite happen for for the Bianco Celesti in the first half despite the chances that they had Luis Alberto probably had the best of the bunch and is this the type of loss that they can just think okay fine we've lost against the league leaders go again next week 
in my opinion, I think that's the mentality they have to have. Um, the reason for that is that uh, you look at Napoli and they're fighting for the title. Not only that, um, although this is Spalletti's team, they still have those remnants of uh, Sarri's side and those teachings that he had uh, a few years ago. Uh, you look at also Lazio, where they are at the moment. Uh, at this stage, they just look like a team. I think they should just be happy with the Europa League place. I don't think they've got enough momentum to bring them into the Champions League spots mm. uh, against uh, you know opponents that are not as strong as Napoli. Uh, Lazio have shown that they're a good team on their day, but. Uh, and this year has been a season of a bit of how should I say teething problems, if you like. That uh, for Sari to fully implement his tactics with the Bianco Celesti, um, there are too many off days, and it looks like they still need some significant improvements. So I think, um, yeah, from next week onwards, uh, they can fancy themselves to get three points. We very nearly ended this weekend with, with three teams on 57 points because if Inter had beaten Genoa, that's exactly the situation we'd be looking at at the moment. But Kev, they don't, they only drew nil-nil and you would have expected them to, to do more against a team as poor as Genoa have been. But they tend to have winter slumps, but they usually come in January. Is this just that coming a, a little bit later or is there something more more concerning going on at, at the Miazza? Um, I wouldn't be overly concerned. It, it may be as just uh, come a little bit later or carried on a little bit longer than, than their usual slump. Um, if you just look at how many chances they created, now that you know they were woeful in finishing those, but uh, on another day, they sort of walk away from the Morassi with a, a one-goal win and you know everybody's happy despite you know, not being convincing victory. Um, but yeah, they, they were just incredibly wasteful. Why Why is this happening, Vito? Because we've seen this wastefulness from them in Europe and now it seems to be spilling over into domestic duties as well. They've had 53 shots now since they last scored a goal, which is the longest run that they've gone on since, well, only February 2019. But... It is quite troubling to have so many shots without scoring. It is very concerning. And the thing, too, is that these players, they've shown in the past that they can score. Um, I can only suggest that this is more or less a psychological thing. If you look at where they are now, uh, you know, they are behind Napoli and Milan, whereas... Last season, they had more control in the league, so at least mentally, they're more relaxed. I suppose that this season, maybe they're thinking too much about the consequences and not so much about the process, but it's also down to some of the individuals too. Um, Jacko, look, he's he's been a fine performer this season, but uh, gotta, we have to consider that he is 35 years old and uh, he doesn't have the same quality as uh, Lukaku offered last season. Lukaku was great in terms of his finishing, but the tactical value he added to the team, his ability to hold the ball up, his ability to run straight at defenders and just barge through them, 
just his power and direct running, uh, I think it's incredible. Uh, he's shown that he's been an incredible loss, and I think he he's struggled outside of Inter too. So I think it's you know both both Lukaku as a player and Inter as a team have lost either way. And Lautaro, I haven't been impressed with him either. I think he had, look, he did well at the Copa America for Argentina, but this season he just seems off his game. So I don't know if he wants to force a move elsewhere because he had been linked with Barcelona in the past, but uh, um, just even on the way things are, he doesn't look like he's um, 100% uh, focused on Inter. That's just my view. You spoke about Lukaku, Vito, but I have to tell you that you're you're terribly wrong because I don't know if you saw what Paolo Di Canio said, which, while speaking on Sky Sports, he said that Romelu Lukaku would be on the bench for this Inter team. Now, I can't work that one out because <laughs> Inter have had 53 shots without scoring a goal and Romelu Lukaku was their top scorer before he left for 100-odd million. Um. Am I the idiot here, or is the Canio now firmly in the same family as Antonio Cassano, and people just need to stop paying him to speak about football on television? I think it's a bit of sensationalism from the Canio. I don't think he's as uh, crazy as Cassano with his views, but uh, he's starting to get very close. Yeah, some of those statements are just outlandish. I mean. Uh, Lukaku did play his best under Antonio Conte, but uh, I still think in, in this Inter with uh, Simone Inzaghi in charge, uh, I think the Nerazzurri squad, that would put their faith in him to score the goals. And uh, he felt loved there. And uh, there's been speculation that Lukaku wants to actually return to Inter because he mm. hasn't settled back at Chelsea. So make of that what you will. Genoa are picking up points, Kev. I mean, so Alexander Blessing no, has, has not, become... Not enough. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because they've drawn their first, their last five games, um, which is the first time they've done that since May 93. And Blessing has become the first coach, or the second coach in the history of three points for a win to, to draw each of his first five games after Sinisa Mihailovic 14 years ago. So... They're doing something better, but if they draw every game between now and the end of the season, do you think that'll be enough to keep them up? No, and and, and this is kind of the flip side to the Inter performance where they don't look like they're even showing signs of improving up the other end. So while you would be pleased in some way um, with how they're sort of tightening up at the back, it's They've really got to show more this sort of late in the season. What are we? They're twenty six games. Uh-huh. Assuming they haven't had twenty seven. Seven is it? So yeah, it's, it isn't going to be enough. Just sort of grinding draws out. They need to. They need to find something up the other end of the pitch, and I just don't. I don't really see where that is. Kevin, I'll ask you a question. Okay, I hope you're not looking at the league table, but Genoa have seventeen points. Okay. Salernitana are bottom and they've won three games. Venezia are third bottom and they've won five games. How many games do you think Genoa have won in Serie A this season? They have 17 points. Two. (laughs) They've won one match. They've drawn 14 times and lost just 12, which actually... 
actually isn't that bad. It's only two more than Fiorentina, three more than Roma. So, Genoa aren't a bad team. They ju- they just can't win. The table's lying to us. But this is where this is where coaches, you know, regardless of who they are, they've had a lot uh, who are, are sort of focus on sort of steady and stable. And it was that old. Well, if you don't concede, you you know, if you don't concede, you won't lose the game. No, but if you don't concede and you don't score, you can still go down. <laughs> that's the long and the short of it it's like it's not it's not necessarily going to keep you up mm. it does they do seem like a team from the two points for a win era don't they where the risk of going for a win isn't all that great when you can get a point and that's that's quite respectable um but a funny old team Genoa. i'm sure vito will be very very happy if we see them get relegated this season but the other team who just look like they don't want to do what they need to do to win the Scudetto, despite, I mean, having played Salernitana and Udinese, two teams threatened by relegation in the last two weeks. Milan, they drew again, this time against Udinese. Now, now Vito, they just look like they are determined to not win it. Milan, in the last few weeks, they just haven't looked overly convincing. I don't know if they just play at too slow of a tempo or they look a bit casual when they're in possession, but they don't look like a team that play with a lot of urgency. And around this time of the year, I think that's where they really need to either play at a greater intensity or at least show that they're fit enough to put in the hard yards in the last few rounds or at least be a lot more sharp and clinical, also be better in the decision-making. Uh, the way they've played in the last few weeks... Um, it looks like that uh, they're there for the taking and that anyone who faces them, they'll be able to capitalise on any weaknesses. It doesn't help that they're missing Simon Kaye in defence, but I think this goes down to more than just having uh, injuries in defence or missing other players in that back line. I think just the team overall doesn't look like they've got that determination to win their first league title since 2011. And uh, even up front, you know, they've got experienced players like Giroud and Ibrahimovic when he's fit. But um, at the moment, just Leal trying to do something special and then otherwise the, the rest of them really like that X factor to bring them back up. Well, Rafael Leal, Kev, he scored on a Friday. And I'm going to come to you with another quiz question because him scoring on a Friday made him the second Milan player to score on each of the week's seven days. Can you name the first? It's, it's not a current player. It's not a current player. There's only one other player in Milan's history who has scored on every day of the week for the club. Okay, it, it must be in recent memory because pre- previously the games wouldn't have been spread across the weeks as they are now. Um, okay. Let's go Shevchenko. Oh, he's got one right. He's got the other wrong. It's Andrei Shevchenko. Congratulations, Kevin. Very, very happy for you. Uh, I know it's it's been a tough and long day. <laughs> but while we're on, while we're on Liao, Liao's goal okay. actually was incredibly good. Well, I found it incredibly good. Just You're never going to get me interrupting Liao praise, Kev. I'm never going to okay. stop that from happening. So please, take it away. 
because he was in he was in quite a, a small space for the ball to kind of be dropping at an awkward height across him. And sort of he did well to sort of control it, but because he had to do as best he could with the control, he then had to sort of twist his body back round to open his body up and and sort of place it past the goalkeeper. And I just I don't know, I found it a, a lovely piece of technical brilliance. All right, but the important question is see I didn't I didn't see what he did after he scored his goal, so how did he celebrate it? Oh, he did some sort of funny dance they were all doing. Oh, he didn't do the surfboard, no? He did um, something with his with his like hands making glasses signs. For, and for the audio listeners, of, uh, Kev is now trying to do an impression of what Raphael Leao yeah. did. Um, and having I, not I, seen I, the celebration, I'm none the wiser after watching what he just did. Well, I, I see he was doing something with um, Tamori seemed to be in on it. And it was the same dance that Christian Pulisic did for Chelsea last weekend, and then oh. there was a de- there was a debate on 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 and on, on another podcast that I listened to uh, a, a Premier League focused podcast where they didn't even know what this current craze is. So I'm not just the old person. Here no, you're not. <laughs> that didn't know what it was, but uh, because yeah, I saw that Pulisic did the da- that dance. I didn't realise this was the same one now. And Jamie Carragher had done it too. And Pulisic was asked if he did it better than Carragher and he said he thought he had done it better. So I didn't know what the dance is either. So I'm as old and out of touch as you are on this one, unfortunately, yeah. Kev. But I'm disappointed. Thing, apparently. Yeah. I'm disappointed that thing. he didn't do the, the surfboard. But it, you've given me some information, so it's only right if I give you some information in return. Um, Your information disappointed me. I don't know how mine will make you feel. Maybe you know, maybe you didn't. I know you had a tough night with trains, but did you see what kit Napoli were wearing tonight? Because we forgot to to talk about it. Having having gone into this on the preview pod, did you see it? Yes, no, I did see it. And I I, I did saw your tweet, actually, that uh, you got it correct after our preview pod. That's quite good for me, there, isn't it? They're in a gas mark one kit or whatever. <laughs> they're in the blue flame kit. Gas um, hob. That's gas it. hob, gas hob kit. Yeah, is that what is that what you're calling? Is that what you're that's, going that's, for? That's that's what it's on the spreadsheet has. Okay. Um. Oh, I didn't realize you gave them names on the. Well, on I have the to. How do I differentiate between? Yeah, but I suppose with Napoli, you can't just go for a second, third, fourth, fifth because you can't mm. keep count of which one came in which order. No. So, have you got your spreadsheet handy there? No, no. Okay, so it will get completed tomorrow. So can you can you remember the names? I'm guessing the the Halloween one is it called Halloween or Spider? It's called Halloween. Oh really? Yes. What if so they we wear have, it we again? Have... Will it then get changed to the Spider kit? Mm, no. It's not strictly it's Halloween then, though. Kev, they wear it in April, is it? Yeah, but it's already been named. You don't okay. go back and you don't go back and rename your child six months after because they do something that makes it, oh they look more like a Julie and we'd named them. Joan, I don't know. Do you not? not I've heard of no. animals get renamed after a while. Bizarre people that do that. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on to the game I was at, shall we? So Sassuolo played Fiorentina and the Naraverdi won 2-1. And to be fair, they were good value for their win, despite having conceded an equaliser in the 88th minute. Hamid Traore scored. A gorgeous goal early on. He kind of weaved in between two people. A bit of good fortune 
as he nutmegged uh, Fiorentina defender, but then the finish was decent. Giacomo Bonaventura got sent off for trying to fight the referee, and then Fiorentina scored about 10 minutes later through Arthur Cabral. And as the ball was coming in for Cabral's goal, I was leaving the press box because I, I was trying to make my way to the top of the stairs to watch from a really dark and the lights were broken behind the stand at the Mape. So I was trying to navigate my way around and stood beside some Fiorentina video staff where when Cabral got that goal and then I was going to leave because I really needed to run for the train. But I decided to stay because I just didn't feel like it was over. And sure enough, Greg Rod the Frel popped up on the end of a Domenico Baradi cross in the 94th minute to, to nod in the winner. And when that went in, I ran. <laughs> I, I, well, I started to run. And then I thought, oh, I don't know if I can leave this yet, even though there's about six seconds left. So I went back and, and made sure I heard the full-time whistle before I left the stadium. And I got to my platform. You'll be happy to know, Kev. Just as the train pulled in, it was a close call. If I had stayed in the press box, I would have missed it. That's the, Those are the fine margins we're talking about when it comes to going to games, late games in Reggio Emilia. Because I can be at home within an hour of the full-time whistle, or I can have to wait for three hours after the full-time whistle for the train. So I think I made the right choice. But Vito... This was a lot of fun, and I don't think it's much of a surprise given the two teams that were involved. Both teams have been involved in some interesting encounters between each other in the last few years, so it's not surprising that uh, we got served up to a game like this. Uh, Dionisi, as the Sassuolo coach, has similar ideas to his predecessor, the Zerbi, Italiano, as we point out in previous pods and... Also, you've written a piece recently for the website that with Italiano, he's given them that structure, that philosophy, that attacking mindset. So um, for me, the main surprise is that there were only just three goals. It really was a game where I think both sides could and probably should have scored more, but uh, at least the late drama made up for it. I mean, just, uh, you know, Cabral getting that goal and then soon after, Defrel, who's not a regular starter, Scores with that diving header. It just um, really just uh, was fantastic stuff. It was great because when when Defrel got that late winner, it was one of those classic scenes like we saw in the Napoli game. And curiously, the equaliser in both of those games came in the 88th minute. And then the winners both came in the 94th to the teams who had been winning before the equaliser in the 88. So there was quite nice symmetry in, the, in both of the late games this weekend. But anyway, when, when Defrel got that goal, there were those scenes where where everyone's on the pitch. And, you know, you get these some of the coaching staff run across the pitch to try and intercept the runner as he's going to the corner flag. But then they have to, like, double back on themselves and, and, and join in the corner. And I was pleased for Defrel because in the game they played against Napoli back, I think it was the, the 1st of December, wasn't it? Um, when Sassuolo went 2-0 down and then came back, Defrel scored and there were celebrations of that same nature then, but then that goal was ruled out and it was again, a stoppage time would have been a winner. So for him to get that, I was quite pleased for him and, and the, the celebrations were exactly the same, which was nice. But Kev, we did say on the preview pod that Fiorentina might miss Milenkovic and boy, did they because their defense as tight 
and as shut as it was against Atalanta, it was open on Saturday night. They were dominant in the bo- on the ball early on, and, and they had a lot of their pl- possession in Sassuolo's half, but the number of times Sassuolo threatened on the on the counter-attack was, was quite frightening for Fiorentina fans, and I do think the sooner Milenkovic and Igor are, are that central defensive pairing again, the better. Yeah, well, we you know as we said on the preview, Sassuolo will do this to you anyway, mm. and um, it was a stupid booking from Milinkovic last week, and you know Fiorentina have ultimately paid the price. Um, so yeah, not not unexpected, but they'll be they'll be glad to get him back. They absolutely will be glad to get him back, but it's it's go. As you're thinking, there was a there was a good uh, segue into uh, somebody that was also very stupid. Um, with Bonaventura. Do you want to uh, talk about Jack? <laughs> oh, it was, oh, I, I've only just seen it and uh, it was just hilarious. He's absolutely losing his mind. So angry, wasn't he? And I wonder if some of that comes with sort of, well, I'm, I'm just about to say whether that comes with experience. And in that respect, I mean that he feels that he's that elder statesman that almost like captain, like that you can mm. have a go at the referee because you've built up years of being relatively mild-mannered with uh, referees because I can't remember too many outbursts like this from him, but the way he actually just loses his mind, I'm not surprised the ref gives him a uh, a red. And it, it did look like he gave him a straight red, but it would probably be because he had the yellow already in his hand and he's booked him twice. Yeah. It was quite funny because he only came on after an hour. And then, what, 17 minutes later, he, he got his booking and then went mad. It was one of those rare incidents as well where... From the press box, you can see how angry someone is. You know, often you see it on TV, but you could see from the way he was moving his whole body that when that first yellow came out and he reacted like that, you just thought, see you later. He's gone. There's there's no way what he's said is mild-mannered enough to excuse that body language because it was one of those where you thought, is he going to... Do something here. Is he gonna put his hands on the is he gonna headbutt him? Is he gonna put what's how far is this gonna go? And then sure enough the red came out, but it looked like he wanted to spot him. Yeah. He did, didn't like he? he? To... It was on the far side of the pitch, but I could see that very, very clearly. You say he's quite it's not his usual outburst, but there was a case in this in this match and against Atalanta where I could hear him screaming at someone. And when I heard the voice last week, I thought, who, who is that? Because I don't, I don't recognize the voices of all of the players. Sometimes, you know, right, that's Gigi Buffon's voice, for example, right? They're quite distinctive. But Jax was quite shrill. And then I looked and it was, he was given out to an Atalanta player. And then I heard it again this week and I thought, oh, and, and at the Mape, you're, you're considerably further away than you are at the, at the Frankie. So I did have a little giggle about that. But the only curiosity was that I couldn't hear what he said to the referee because it was on the other side of the pitch, unfortunately. And there were a lot of angry and upset Fiorentina fans around with the initial decision to give a foul, which I thought was quite a clear foul. But maybe not a yellow card, actually. Maybe that was a little bit harsh, and and that's why he was annoyed. But I still think the reaction was insane and and the sign of of a man that you don't want to have any personal contact with. Although before this week, I, I like Jack Bonaventura very much. Now I'm a bit afraid of him. That's just how it goes. Um, This was my second Sassuolo game of the day because earlier 
in the afternoon I was at Sassuolo, the actual place, which was a very nice day out, as it always is. I don't know if you saw on Instagram or on Twitter, guys, but I was treated to a nice nice lunch. I went for a, a quick pre-match aperitivo, and I got treated to a, a big old plate of meats and fresh baked bread. And let me tell you, it was delicious. Sometimes I love living in Emilia-Romagna. Sometimes the weather gets me a little bit down, but... When you get served up the food like that, you can't really complain. I, w- I was there for Serie A Feminile where Sassuolo played Milan. And I think this was actually a better game than Sassuolo Fiorentina because Sassuolo went down to 10 after about 10 minutes. And there were at least three occasions in the rest of the match where I had to count how many players were on each team because I didn't believe that Sassuolo had a, had a disadvantage numerically. <laughs> but it was, it was something else. I finished nil-nil. But the real surprise in Serie A Feminile this weekend was that Juventus lost for the first time in 54 games in a, in a run that stretched back to the 2019-20 season. And they lost away to Empoli, who are battling relegation. So a real shocking result there. But, I mean, the title's still going to be theirs. They're not going to have any problems. Roma solidified their grip on second place with Sassuolo Milan drawing Fiorentina Lazio drew 2-2 Napoli got a huge win at the bottom beating Elas Verona 2-1 Samp beat Pomigliano 1-0 as well and the next round of fixtures are back next weekend and we'll hopefully have Ewan back to to do a little bit on that Um, back to the men's football what else is there to say We've got to go to the other games, don't we? And Empoli's men's team didn't have the same good luck as their women's team against Juventus. They lost 3-2 and Kev Dusan Vlaovic scored two more goals to continue his decent start to life with the Bianconeri. Yep, sorry. I was having trouble with my mute button. Uh, yeah, his second one was lovely. Um, yeah. It, it does feel like... Uh, <laughs> The, the fear I have here is that Juventus start to believe that he has solved all of their problems. And while they may well clinch a Champions League spot, um, it'd be interesting if they then don't continue to strengthen during the summer, believing that they've righted some form of wrong, uh, getting rid of what they've gotten rid of. In the but it, has he not solved one of the problems that they had? And then Zakaria should solve one of the others, and then they just need to add some more midfielders. Uh, I'm I'm yet to be sold on Zakaria, although it was a good deal for the the, the money that they paid for him. Um, but yeah, I, it it certainly has solved one problem they have. But then it's whether you allow that to uh, hide your, you know, hide what you can see that is obvious failings elsewhere. So it'd be interesting what they do. Yeah. Vito Roma left it very, very late to beat Spezia. The, I think it was the 100th minute when Tammy Abraham put his penalty away after a host of missed chances for the Gialarossi. But they got their three points on the road and Mourinho will probably be happy. Yeah, oh, he'd definitely be happy with his result. It was surprising that they had to leave it so late, though, because uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini had a solo effort in the first up that he probably... Should have scored with. And then the woodwork in the second half uh, came to Spezia's rescue. And then uh, also Enzola had a good chance for Spezia to score. But, yeah, just incredible drama at the end. Just 
They all looked bunched up in the box there. Then on the replay, you see Nicolau kicking Zaniolo in the face. Uh. Then, yeah, uh, Abraham stepped up to score the decisive penalty. But, yeah, that was with three points. But, yeah, another game that probably should have had more goals, like the Sassuolo-Fiorentina one. I actually thought Abraham was pretty poor in terms of his finishing for most of this game, like most of the Roma players were. I can't remember if it was the same scramble that led to the penalty or if it was another one, because there were quite a few. But there's one where the ball, I think, hits the crossbar at some point. And I just have no idea how it's not gone in. And then you see the replay and there's like six players around it on the goal line. <laughs> it was it was a remarkable goal mouth scramble that you don't see enough of. Kev, Cagliari won away at Torino. Torino were one of the best home teams in Europe until a couple of weeks ago, and now they're just they're giving points away for free at the Grande at the Grande Torino there. But Cagliari are doing their usual late run. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing, isn't it? That they're going to just do it again. Yeah, um, and then that will probably allow them to keep Jao Pedro for another year, um, and then they can do it all again next year. And they'll do it all again next year. Yeah, they 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 they're looking like they're they're going to pull away quite comfortably, um, particularly as we've mentioned earlier with Genoa just drawing. Uh, Torino probably had the, m- more of the possession, but I think it was another performance from Alessio Cranio and goal where he just had one of those days where he just made a few quality saves, especially in that first half. But uh, one player I've been impressed with from Cagliari this season is the right wing back, Raul Bellanova. Even when things mm-hmm. were going bad for Cagliari, I thought, he showed great pace, had a great work ethic, always put in a good shift. And recently, he's starting to become more involved in the goals. He scored the opener in this game, and he was involved in the build-up for the winning goal for Deola. So yeah, I'd probably say he'd be up there with one of the best players this season. And he's a guy that I've kept an eye on this season whenever I get the chance to watch Coyote play. He's been quite surprising how good he is. I, I didn't really notice it until he, he put in that performance against Atalanta recently. And... Yeah, he's he's just been flying ever since, really. But at the bottom of the table, we've got a little bit of a a battle unfolding. So we've got Venezia on 22 points on 26 games. Cagliari on 25 points, 27 games. Spezia, 26 points. Samp, 26 points. Udinese, 26 points. And I'm going to go as high as Empoli in 13th on 31 points because I don't think Empoli are ever going to win another game in Serie A. Because they've just been stinking since about October. They just had enough points on the board by then that they seemed safe. So we could potentially have one, two, three, four, five, six teams fighting for one place. And if Genoa get involved as well, I think the relegation fight is going to be a belter this season. And Vito, Samp's trip to Atalanta on Monday is all the more important now, given the, the way the other results at the bottom went, particularly that Cagliari one. Oh, indeed it is. I think it also helps that since Gianpaolo has returned as coach, we've got a couple wins on the board. And I think that's been good for confidence and hopefully we can keep it up. But uh, uh, facing Atalanta is going to be a very tough game. Uh, Sensi is going to return from his one millionth niggle. Um, <laughs> Sebastian Jovinko is expected to make his debut oh, as well. No. So. I know what uh, happened. I hope, I hope he can score a free kick or two, but uh, really, who knows? Um, but yeah, I ex- I still expect Atalanta to win this one, even though Atalanta has been a bit uh, 
inconsistent even in the recent patch. And also without natural strikers being fit, doesn't help Ladea. But I think, yeah, um, if some can somehow get a point out of this one, it would feel like a win because I still think overall Atalanta are a much stronger team. Because I think Sebastian Javinko is one of the worst strikers in Serie A, I know he's going to score against Atalanta. It's just going to happen. But anyway, we, we spoke about it on the previous. We won't get back into it now. But Kev, Salernitana Bologna, 1-1. Anything to say? Oh, Arnautovic scored again. Oh, so he's going to be your player of the week again, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all I've got for that. Fair enough. And Vito, yeah, Verona beat like... Venezia 3-1. And Giovanni Simeone scored another hat-trick. It's interesting with Simeone. He's got 15 Serie A goals for the season now, but uh, he scores in these patches. So it's either this hat-trick against Venezia, which was well taken, especially that first goal. That was a fantastic strike. Great work. And then to score with that from the angle that he did. And also to win in a local derby, that's a big bonus. But yeah, hat-trick there. Early in the season, he got four against Lazio. Mm-hmm. And then he had that brace against Juve. So it's a bit funny. And he had an... He had uh, a bit of a drought until this game, so it's rather intriguing how he's been scoring because on the line of things, he's up there for the Capo Canoniero race. He's yeah. not too far off. But, you know, it's just like he, he'll score on his day, have a good one, and then doesn't produce much for the other weeks. Yeah, he's really odd. He is such an odd striker. And he did say this as well when he was at Fiorentina that he, he does so much running all over the place that... By the time he gets in front of Cole, he's just tired. Um, and you do see that. But, Kev, you were at the reverse fixture of this. Did he score twice in Venezia that time? Yeah, he scored He scored the last two. Right. And the winner was pretty good. Yeah, I remember we, we saw that back on the replay together. But So he scored, what, five goals against Vene- Venezia this season, four against Lazio, and two against Juventus. So they're in three games, or four games against three teams, that's 11 of his goals. And I get what you mean completely. I'd much rather he scored one against 15 different teams than 15 against three or four. I think it's a lot more beneficial. And I know people don't agree with me. I've made that point about people before and up and said, oh, but you still scored. I, I know. Shut up. I don't care what your opinion is on it. I've got mine. You don't need to tweet me. I've probably muted you by now anyway. <laughs> anyway, look, that will do it. For, for this week's pod, we will be back with a midweek pod to talk about the Coppa Italia and then the usual preview pod as well. Another reminder, if you want those podcasts, head to patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football. Sign up for as little as five euro a month and you'll get all of that good stuff. Um, if you want to just dip your toe in and see how it goes, the first week of every month, you get all of that content for just two euro a month. So it is now the first week of March by the time Tuesday comes around, so do that, and you'll get the the Coppa Italia on the preview pod for just two euro. And if you like it, sign up for the five euro tier, and you get it every single week. So that's it, Kev. Thank you. Say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. You can get some sleep now at last. And Vito Toria, say goodbye. Goodbye. You can go about your day as I took into bed in about an hour, which will take us after three. I am. Um, <laughs> listeners, we'll speak to you very, very soon. It's goodbye from me. Too.
Il cuore mi batteva, non chiedermi perché, di tempo ne è passato e siamo ancora qua. E oggi come allora difendo la città. Non chiedermi perché Di tempo ne è passato E siamo ancora qua E oggi come allora Difendo la città 